0: today we're chatting with conor reese founder and creator of 99 Percent lifestyle magazine we talk about him starting the magazine features content how to get guests university and how important a look and feel of a magazine is in the digital world i really hope you enjoy this episode thank you very much and i'll see you at the end
1: brilliant welcome to the podcast yeah thanks
0: for having me so can can we learn a bit about yourself and who you are and what you do yeah
1: so i am uh, my name is Connor Reese, and I'm the creator of 99% Lifestyle Magazine, which is an independently published magazine that I do from in, from Birmingham, but the, the people and the content inside the magazine covers creators and entrepreneurs from all over the place, really, so it could be like bloggers in South Africa, or it could be, you know, Aaron Draplin from Portland in the US, or it could be, you know, people in my home city of Birmingham. So all the all the brands like the magazine, website, it's all just done by myself and it's about a year and a half old now, which originally started as like a university type project and slowly developed into a fully fledged business um, as, as time's gone on really.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's gone into to that from, from university. So what did you study at
1: university and where did you go to study it? So I did journalism at the University of Worcester and I think my passion for like, Interest in say like design and a very various sort of creative topics mainly come due to my close group of friends all studied say like create digital media so they they're, they're designers basically so just spending time with them commuting with them that's I'll say that's really where I, I gained a lot of interest in creativity as opposed to it actually coming from the journalism uh, course because it was very just you know content based that so even when we had a magazine module there was only ever marking us on the words that we was getting down not the actual designer layouts of the publication which which makes for some hilarious things to talk talk about and show when i do some talks because when i show people the, the old magazine at university it's it's horrendous
0: <laughs> i was going to come on to this later on about the design layout um, but how is how, how important is it to have a good looking magazine
1: it, it depends on the type of magazine you want to make but for me and the type of magazine i'm creating i think it's extremely important because this isn't like a typical like glossy mag that you would find um, a supermarket that is you know like UGQ stuff like that way it's very much you'll read it and there's a good chance it's probably going to get discarded afterwards it's going to or stain you know storage somewhere whereas this there's a lot of attention in say this independent magazine sector of making a beautiful product that's going to find its you know self on someone's coffee table or bookshelf so it's very much trying to create a beautiful product not just on the cover and what you first see you know the spine but also on the layouts as well, because the people who are getting these magazines normally have got an interest in beautifully designed products, and the attention to detail has to be, you know, throughout the publication. And also, from from myself as well, I, I suffer from like trying to make everything perfect as possible. Where I'll wait and wait and wait until it's just as perfect as it can be before releasing it. Perhaps a bit too late than what it should. But I'm guessing you you probably have the same with the work that you do, is just finding hard to. Class it as being finished.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you yeah, you want to make it as good as possible, but then you've got the, the deadlines of time, and it, it, it's a hard juggling act because obviously, if you've got a client briefing, you, you're going to try and make it as good as possible in the amount of time you're given because the amount of money you get also depends on how much time you spend on it. So, I don't think you can be, especially in design, sometimes I don't think you can be too precious with the time that you're given. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose, with I mean, I, I did a bit of editorial like layouts and stuff, and it sort of has to be perfect, otherwise. The, you read it slightly wrong, or it looked bad, or like with Windows mm. and uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't like editorial design to be honest. Uh, I think it takes a long
1: time. It's not my yeah. personal thing, so. But um, but I'm, I'm just, it is very like trial and error as such because I didn't know yeah. anything about editorial design. Like it was, we wasn't taught any of that in university. Like I said, it was just focused on the content. They didn't show us really how to do proper layouts and stuff and that's why you know looking back at that old university magazine it was a it was like a team project but there's very much you know like no white space just like colored water you know, weird textures on the background of like you know dark backgrounds on black text so you couldn't even read it and and even with the first magazine that i published i still will go back and look at that and think okay that's nowhere near what the latest magazine's like because there's been so much in the last year that i've learned that then goes into the next issue to try and improve it that I always tell people to just look at volume three to start off with and don't judge me on volume one. <laughs> well, I think volume one's amazing for the first magazine
0: and everything. It's it's a really sharp like looking magazine. I mean they all they've got this consistent like minimal feel and they're really well 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 laid out, all well, the beautiful photography. Um obviously that's something you take care of and the, the feel and the look of the of the magazine. Um, we'll come on to the style and stuff later on, but uh that was something that might make you laugh. I, I did um when I first started at school, I did a Cricket magazine, and that's what I sort of wanted. That's how I got into design, and it was mm. I did it in um, in PowerPoint. And oh, wow, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no bleeds. So I sent it to the printers, had the massive white line around the edges, and uh, yeah, it, it wasn't good. Text all <laughs> over the place, just centered in the column in one column. But yeah, I, I, how do you? How do you feel about university for uh, journalism and can you learn online because there's a thing in design where you don't actually have to go for, to university anymore
1: yeah i think that this is a question that came up on another guy's podcast that i was on and we ended up like probably talking about this topic for about half an hour because i think it's dependent on the person because there's loads of different routes to where you can get to basically to so say you've got a goal you can go to university you can learn it yourself but it's very much looking at everything around the course as well so for instance I don't necessarily think I would, I would have published a magazine if if I hadn't done that course but then we had people come in from local newspapers that told us that they wouldn't employ us if we got um, a degree in journalism because what they was teaching us at that specific university didn't actually teach us the required things for say the old old fashioned type newspaper jobs. Right. So we didn't know shorthand and it would require going to, I think the university of I forget now, but it was, it was to do basically a a further, further education course after our degree to just be able to get a job in the newspaper. So even though I haven't really used the degree to, um, to, you know, get a job because I've done it myself. I think that it made me learn what I did want to do and didn't want to do because going into university it was more just I more just did it because I didn't really know what else to do and I needed some time to figure out what I was interested in what I wasn't and at the time I was interested in becoming say like a football journalist and I thought that's what I wanted to do I, I like football and I have done it for ages and I just wanted to you know write about football and there was a sports module in the second year of of this course so that's what I was that's what I was aiming for and I was just doing you know football match reports on the side of the university and. Funny enough, when it actually came to that module, it was perhaps one of my least favourite of the entire course because I've, I learned that it perhaps wasn't really for me. And nowadays it's extremely tough just to write about football unless you go into, you know, say a specialist football magazine or something like that. You you very much need to know a lot of different sports. You can't just really be a football writer for like, you know, the BBC or Sky Sky Sports. It's very tough to just do that. So, you need to sort of be like, you know, an expert in like rugby, cricket, and various other different sports. So, I think had I not gone to university, this magazine wouldn't be here, and I don't really know what else I'd be doing. So, for me, it was worth it. But for someone else who has already got a set, clear goal of where they want to get to, it's not necessarily essential unless the person, the employer, is adamant that they need a degree in, in something. But, you know, if you just want to become a freelance writer, then I'm pretty sure that you could just. About doing that yourself, just by building up a portfolio and networking, making connections, meeting the right people who can open doors for you.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting that you, you didn't like, didn't really enjoy the football side of it. Because side note, uh, where do you think England will finish in
1: the World Cup? well I've been adamant that I'm not going to believe we're going to win it, but you can't help but you can't help but that thought creep into the back of your mind because I think you just got to take it one game at a time and. I don't want to let my thoughts get ahead of myself because by the time they're coming, this, people will be listening thinking, oh, yeah, they lost to Sweden. Like, well, <laughs> And they're talking about it. So I, I don't know. I think we just need to take it game at a time and not be too arrogant because Sweden, have, you know, they've beaten a lot of teams to get where they are. And they're going to probably play a really defensive style of play. So it's it's going to be a tough game. But I'm hoping we can get to the semis. At least a solid team.
0: it's hard because I speak to so many people and they're really believing now, and it's starting to make me believe. And
1: uh, yeah, I, yeah you, just, you just get that feeling. I we've think it's because there. that we've only won a penalty shooter and we feel we're invincible now. <laughs> um, that's what a lot of people seem to be thinking. You can imagine if we won the World Cup, what it would do to the country, they'll be like it would just go to pot for a few weeks and now yeah. no one will be doing anything. <laughs> I
0: think everyone will be drunk for it for a week, like <laughs> no work, nothing flags everywhere face painted everywhere
1: uh, back to the uh, creative side of it so why is it called 99% lifestyle so the name's not really a secret or anything it's um I oh, I've listed it on my website because it's a question I get asked all along and I'm terrible with names like I'm normally dreadful at coming up with names for like you know the podcasts have done like old blogs i have done stuff like that but I sat down with one of my friends who's um who's one of the designers that's helped me out a lot with the magazine and it was just brainstorming names and um he suggested what about 99 percent lifestyle and we bounced a few after bouncing a few ideas and it, it hit like a lot of the check boxes because it um it, it creates like this sort of mystery where people want to pick it up to just think why is it only 99 percent lifestyle and then they'll try and pick it up to discover what the other one percent is so it's already in their hand then but it's also to represent that the content inside the magazine is supposed—it's supposed to provide a lot of value. So, each and every feature is supposed to leave you with food for thought, value, advice, inspiration. And you know, you—you um, know—you could be a designer and you could read an interview with a chef, and you would still get something from it. So, it's supposedly that you're taking something away from it. So, it's—it's it's very much like we can provide you with all this content, but it's never going to really affect you unless you take something from it. So it's kind of meant to represent that. So it's got like a bit of a double meaning to it. Fantastic, yeah. So what uh, what actually made you start the the, the magazine? Um, well, after realising I didn't want to become a football writer, I was a bit lost in what I wanted to do. So at, at the time I was doing a football and movie podcast and those were the two areas of interest for me. Um, and I thought about writing you know, film-related stuff. Or If I did want to do football-related stuff, then I thought it would have to be more the magazine side of things. So a real specialist, um, you know, business specialising in a specific topic. So someone like Empire or your 442, something like that. Yeah. And um, there was a magazine module in the second year, just after the sports module. So the sports module was first semester, second year. And the magazine module was in the, the second semester. And that involved you making a magazine as part of a group. And it was absolutely horrendous. It was a disaster. We still got good grades just because... The the editorial was all right, Um, but the design of it, it it was really bad. But um, there was a third module. um, No, sorry, there was another magazine module in the third year, which was was basically the same, but just instead of it being a group project, it was more of a solo project. And that's when I came up with the idea for 99% Lifestyle, just going on my interests with... um, that I've built up just from talking to friends about like the creative community. I was always interested in photography. So it was a good opportunity to reach out to photographers, designers. And I guess it kind of was a way that I could selfishly also learn myself. It was a bit what you said earlier, but all I was thinking throughout that, that the magazine is kind of like, it is just a curation as well of me speaking to other people and then putting their valuable advice, tips, information, onto the paper so it's very similar with what you're doing with the podcast i guess but just in a different medium yeah. um so yeah i started that and at university and instead of just sticking to the brief which is just do a few spreads i thought that after hearing that this guy from the newspaper said we're all unemployable i didn't want to go into further education so i thought okay i'm just gonna make a full-blown magazine here and use this as like a portfolio piece that i could show to magazines and see whether I can take like a fast fast track into it and and instead I ended up winning a award at the Midlands Media Student Awards and I ended up winning best student of of the year for the entire Midlands in in like I think it it was I'm not too sure if it was just journalism students or whether it was a mixture of of other different topics I'm not too sure but the guy who the guy who judged that award was Peter Lowe, who's the editor of Sky News, and hearing his like feedback on the magazine, it kind of made me realise that, you know, there's someone out there that actually likes what I've done from his position, so maybe there might be other people. So I decided to try and go about creating the magazine myself. And initially I went onto Kickstarter to kickstart it, but I went in there blind, not knowing nothing, thinking that, you know, I'm just going to make a project page, make a campaign, and then everyone's going to flood to it, you know, back the magazine, it'll be funded, and as you can imagine, no one showed up other than friends and family, it failed miserably, and the whole project was sort of dead and buried for a few months, and then I sort of kind of had a bit of a second win for the magazine. Instead of, you know, still pursuing this job, I went through the Prince's Trust then to get the initial funding, and that's how I initially launched Volume 1 of... 99% Nine percent Lifestyle, which was in, in November 2015, I think. I think it was it, no, 2016.
0: So what does the Princess um, Trust do, actually? Because I've heard a lot about them and they give out some
1: money to people. But what, what, how, do you, how do you apply? And what? So there's a lot of, I think there are a few different. Options with the Prince's Trust, but the one I went for was called the Enterprise Program, and you can apply to get up to a four thousand pound loan, which is I think it's a low interest loan basically. Then and it sets you up for to repay it monthly in monthly instalments over three years. And with that, they give you a business mentor that will help you out. Um, they're normally especially good at looking, you know, at like the back end of the business, so you know, doing your tax returns and all things like that. And there's there's a lot of help they can give you, and access to different resources. They do like workshops and courses that you can attend as well. And once you've gone through their initial course to get um, to apply for to apply for the loan, after doing set like a you know, business plan and a week's long taster course of you know stuff like marketing, sales, um, you know setting up a website, just stuff like that, then you'll go in through like a pitch in front of a few people to basically. Explain your business idea. They'll look through your business plan, voice any concerns, and then they'll say whether or not you're going to get the loan um, to to go with them. I'm not too sure if it's still the same format than what it was two years ago, but it's it's a great opportunity for people to get started. When you know the only thing stopping you is a little bit of you know income in the bank, really, to kickstart Mm. what you're after. Really.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really it's a really cool by doing it. We talked a little about about it a little bit, um, about the how look and the feel of the magazine. I suppose for creative stuff and creative people, if you're aiming it at that, that sort of target of audience, mm. it's absolutely massive part of the magazine. How did you come up with the look and feel of it and how did you know that you wanted something like that
1: the first magazines i ever bought of this type of you know the indie magazine bracket where they're a bit more like books than you know the glossy ones um were serial magazine and Kinfolk. i don't know if you've heard of them before but a lot of them their, their main style is quite a minimalist approach a lot of white space a lot of attention to detail on you know good photography and i'd also got a lot of photography books as well where it was a lot of landscape images you utilizing in white space again when needed and because i'm not a designer myself i couldn't really do too much in terms of fancy you know graphic design layouts and when it first started i couldn't hire an illustrator because again all the money went onto the first print run so i was quite limited with what i could do with the first issue and um it was then a case of sitting down with some of my friends who are graphic designers and getting them to tweak and fine-tune certain areas and um, just explained to me different things about editorial design and <clears throat> that's how really how the first issue was approached with it was very much taken inspiration from those two minimalist titles and also the lack of ability I had but then I really discovered that you know you can still make you know beautiful editorial design layouts with still this minimalist approach when as opposed you know using all like fancy layouts and graphics and stuff where you can still keep it quite clean and i'm not so sure if that's making much sense but (laughs) it's it's more of like an evolution so as the next issue i'm sent up for volume four i'm talking to a designer which um is going to help me out with the editorial layouts and stuff as well so it's going to be like gradual like fine tuning so hopefully people when they see the three issues and yeah. the fourth will be out hopefully around november time they'll see that there's a bit of evolution that's gone on with still the, like this minimalist style
0: so yeah it's, it's be cool to have them like all, all like framed and then just see the gradual like, progression <laughs>
1: go along that would be awesome yeah
0: you get one maybe one day you have this huge office and then get them all on the wall
1: <laughs> hopefully yeah
0: <laughs> so i mean the photography in it is amazing as well. Like, you, you get people to submit photos or use the people you interview's photos,
1: yeah. So, the magazine is it's all just done by myself. So, I don't currently have any freelance working for me, other than in volume two, I got um two illustrations off uh, an illustrator in Birmingham. And for the latest issue, volume three, I worked with another illustrator to do three illustrations. Um, and he's based in London. But apart from that, all the you know, the content. The talk, like it's all either done by myself, and in terms of the photography side of things, it's a mixture of photos I took myself, or the interviewees supplying the the photos, or using um, copyright free images. So it's very much a case of trying to make the publication look as beautiful as possible with limited resources. Because again, I'll say out of all the creative um, areas, I say photography is the one I've been trying to get into the most, um, more particularly like the landscape side of things. So I do take a lot of time to, you know, decide which photos are going where and what photos to use, what not, not to use, looking at say like the cover images. I'm very grateful that the fact that the interviewees are normally willing to submit their the error images basically to go alongside them their interview or their feature, which has been a massive help.
0: That's extra, extra special when you've been talking to amazing photographers and you, they can, like you say, supply beautiful photos. Yes, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the content inside of it itself, like like you say, it's, it's so many different parts of being creative. I was looking through and reading the first issue and it went from an interview with a photographer to a recipe to interview with know, a writer or, or something else. And it, it flicks around and it's really cool. It sort of keeps you on your toes a little bit, but you don't really know what to expect on the next page. Obviously, you can read the contents, but like, if you don't, you don't read that. It's, it's yeah. Why, why do you keep keep it flicking around
1: like that rather than keeping like sectioned off? Uh, well, to be honest, it start. The reason why I focused the magazine on that particular idea is because that was the magazine that I wanted to read, and I didn't really find one that was very um, was very fit for my needs. And I think a lot of magazine makers do say that that their magazine tended to start with they couldn't find the magazine they wanted to ma- um, wanted to read, so they ended up making it. And I think that with how the creative community is. Kind of, it it can be like extremely connected. as Such so, for instance, you know, you could listen to a podcast with, like I said, you know, someone is like a designer, but you can still get a lot of value from it because you know their creative process. You know, you could take something that and use that for you know your creative process with coming up with ideas to take you know photos or, um, I think creativity is linked with a lot of different things and there's it's supposedly like linking everything together because you know I get asked you know told all the time you know i'm not creative i don't write i don't draw but everyone is creative in their in their own way as such and it was one of the articles um with a poet in volume 2 and she talked about how being creative could just be simply what we're doing here just having a conversation you know you've you've sat down and prepared questions to try and get the most value out of out of this interview and that's creative in its own way and talking about something you're passionate about is is creative so um, I think it, it's kind of good to try and have like this mixture where it can sort of, like you said, keep you on your toes, I guess. So it's, you know, you're drawing inspiration from different people's backgrounds and um, their occupations, I guess, as well. Yeah, awesome. <coughs>
0: That's cool. That's, I like that. Uh, so, how, how do you get these, these guests on? Because uh, you've got a big caliber of guests. And I, one question I get quite often is, how do you get these people on your podcast?
1: I don't they just yeah. say no? And, and should I just email them? How, how do you do it? Um, well, going back to the university magazine I made, the, one of the, the requirements was that we need to have an interview with someone, and I remember thinking, no one's going to get back to me here, that I'm going to email people, but why are they going to answer me? And I remember sending 50 emails out to people, and I remember having, I think, 18 people get back to me saying they'd do an interview with me and I sent those 50 out all within a day as well so no one had even had a chance to get back to me yet. And it made me realise that you know you can you know there they are people behind like these names, these websites, these pieces of work and it's very much like, you know, even though Aaron Draplin was featured in volume three, I originally emailed him for an interview in volume one and he got back to me right away and he says I'll be interested but I'm a bit busy at the moment. So can we leave it for another time? So these people, you know, they can get back to you. It's just a case of looking on their website, looking at their social media, trying to find an email address or, you know, get past as many gatekeepers as possible to get to actually them. Because it's, it's still a struggle to get hold of people, say, within like the film and music industry, because there tends to be a lot more gatekeepers there. So, you know, it's, it's very tough to even get to like the first stage of people in the film industry. You know, the manager that's never going to pass your email on or you know, the, the company that represents an artist or you know, location scouts and all that. But uh, for a lot of the creative like roles, so like designers and stuff, most times they're gonna have a studio. That studio is gonna have a website on there. Um, there's gonna be email address, contact forms, and they're most likely gonna check your email and it's just making a really good email pitch. So at the start at university, I was just really, you know, honest, I was I said I'm a university student no one's really going to read this, but it'll be a massive help to me. And I had, I remember a photographer by the name of Finn Beals got back to me and he was a big landscape photographer I was looking up at at the time. And he said to me that, yeah, I remember being in your position and someone helped me out when I was at university and I interviewed them. So I'd be, you know, happy to do it for you. And then as time progresses and you get more and more names, it, you can attract more and more people. So, you know, when I send out the email for volume four, trying to get people involved with that, I can... I mentioned I've interviewed Lewis Howes and Aaron Draplin then they might think oh okay you know he's he's interviewed this guy so maybe you know I want to get involved as well so it's sort of like a progression I guess that makes it a little bit easier but I I suppose no one's really out of reach it's just I suppose a bit of luck whether they're you know they're busy or not at the time they, they open your email as well I guess. Yeah, not
0: being scared to contact them, I think it's a big one. I think a lot of people look at, in the design, I'm going to keep using Aaron Drapton because designers, no. Uh But and a lot of people look up to him, and Like just should I really just email him? He's, you know, he's a busy guy and you just send him an email, he will reply. He's a really yeah. nice guy and, and they did exactly the same for me. He said, I can do it you know, six months later on rather than now because I'm a bit busy. So, it's, yeah, he's absolutely a fantastic guy. Um, and, and But other people are going to be the same. Uh, and if i don't get
1: back to you then try again maybe some other time yeah that's the thing you've got nothing to lose i i have like a spreadsheet of people i want to interview it's probably about 150 people long and you know the people some there's some people that are still on there that i email for volume for like the uni magazine volume one volume two and i'm hoping still that i'm going to be able to attract them so you've got really nothing to lose you know if if eventually you know they're going to get too annoyed from you. They'll probably reply to you. <laughs> and it'll probably be a lot easier for them to just accept, um, accept your request, although they're going to think this guy's going to keep emailing me unless I, unless I just say, <laughs> say yes. I've heard um, – have you heard of Gary Vaynerchuk before? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. My, yeah. I remember <laughs> he, he said um, – he, like he's talked about people that have got meetings with him that have just, you know, constantly um, just been messaging him and doing unique ways to get in touch, like, you know, every week, every month – and it, it's just true because he, he said, like, I knew that, you know, I had to meet up with him or it, he's not, they're not going to stop.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm a massive fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> he, yeah, he's got, he's
0: got some great, great wisdom. And um, I'm sure he's probably on your list to interview.
1: Yeah, he's he's on there. So I'm hoping one day, one day, maybe. <laughs> but he's, he seems like the busiest person on the planet, so. Yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> mm. um,
0: I get quite a lot of thrill out of making something and, and having it in like even this t-shirt that I made I, I have my logo printed on it but I think it's it's amazing having something physical in your hand when you're
1: mainly working on screens but what sort of thrills do you get out of, out of that mm. well there's like so much more for, for instance like I don't tend to read too much online um, I wouldn't read like an e-book or a digital magazine I tend to read other than like you know instant news um, more like the featuring story type stuff I always read in like you know physical books or physical magazines because I'm not too sure what it is but there's just something about holding something um, that makes it a lot easier to read but it's to me it's more than that it's like you know once you make something physical it's out in the world if if I was to make a digital magazine it's hidden behind like an application or a home screen you know you're not going to see it unless you click like through to about four different buttons but if someone buys a physical version of a magazine that's going to be living on someone's bookshelf. It's, you know, someone might come around and see that when, you know, they visit friends and family. Um, and you can't like apply like, you know, gold foiling, finishing, you know, soft touch covers to an iPad, but you can to a book so you can get a lot more, a lot more out of it. You know, that I suppose entice a bit more of different senses, I guess, because, you know, you're using like touch smell and stuff like that. A lot of people say they, when, when they've first got the copy, it still smells fresh off the press. And I've had a few people come back saying they like that fresh, like, um, like print smell, they've like fresh ink and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but
1: yeah, I think there's, all, there's just something about making physical products as well, especially I suppose it can be a bit of sense of relief when you've looked at something on a screen for so long and when you finally get the order back to you. I'm guessing it's the same with you when um, it, it, that, that's the moment where it feels like, okay, that's finished now. Yeah. I can't add anything more to it because it's, it's here, you know what I mean? Whereas if it was a digital copy, I could go back and edit it, re-upload it, you know what I mean? It's never really going to be finished then.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think for, for design and creative people as well, the having the physical is, is one of the most important things. Uh, there's a book called The Book of Ideas by Radim Malinic. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Mm. gold, foiled, and, and abs- like just smells like just... It's such a bizarre smell that i've never ever smelled with another book and it, and it just reminds me that smell every single time of the book i think that's really unique um it's not a bad smell like <laughs> it's not it doesn't smell horrible but the same with your magazine the first thing i said when i picked it up was wow that feels really nice and um yeah it's, it's definitely lasting in impact for designers so that's cool um where do you want to go with the
1: magazine in the future what, what do you want to do with the whole brand so the the plan is to build a brand but keep the magazine at the heart of it. So I did some prints at the design festival. So I worked with the illustrator, Jake Gunn, um, who's a fantastic illustrator. And um, I turned the illustrations that he did into some prints. So the plan will be to do more prints with him if he's interested in doing it for future issues and perhaps collaborate with other artists who do other products. So maybe something I'm looking at the moment is perhaps doing some, you know, enamel pins with an artist. But again, these are looking, further down the line because very much the goal at the moment is get get into volume four because it's going to be like a gradual procession, uh, progression to build up the brand so for instance at the moment it's focusing on scaling out the magazine a little bit more up in the circulation perhaps reaching um, the U.S. by getting an international distributor on boards um, to get into some U.S. stores and then when it's hit the mark of about perhaps uh, like 4,000 copies for the magazine I think that seems to be the the, the point for a lot of magazines where it becomes quite self-sustainable in terms of either getting the right ad revenue to cover the cost of the print production or having enough of an audience there where it brings the cost per issue down enough where it can start, you know, you can start having putting money into different areas. So that's like the short term goal, but then looking past that it would be to still continue the magazine, but do other products. I'd love to do a podcast one day and perhaps even introduce some sort of like b2b type stuff so some magazines have like a studio on the side or something like that and that's always been something i've been interested in doing sort of like digital type content for brands like photography filmmaking written editorial perhaps editorial design but again looking at that that would require more people involved with the brand and i know it's a long way away yet and there's a lot of steps that need to be done in order to reach like the short-term goal and to make sure that short-term goal isn't going to take too long as well because 10 years down the line if it's still only on a thousand um a thousand copies print run it's not going to be self-sustainable and it probably wouldn't have survived that long in order to get that so I, I very much know it's there's there's like a checklist of things that need to be done to sort of reach that goal
0: yeah i, th- I think with, with magazines i mean i'm not sure if you, if you agree but i think the things these days you can't just have in my opinion, I don't think you can just have one thing. I think it needs to have, like you say, all the things around it to, to help elevate that one thing. If that makes sense. I like the podcast. That's what I'm, that's what I'm sort of trying to do with this. Like you got, all the different channels, all the social things and little bits of stuff here and there. And then you've got the big design thing in the middle. Um, mm. I think that's, yeah. That's how you build a brand, I hope.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like digital. It's like content, digital marketing type thing really. it's there's, there's a big audience on digital. So even though I'm very much about making physical products, attracting people with like content marketing and things like that. And so like social media marketing, it's a way to get people back to the website and, perhaps reach a different audience that don't actually want to um, buy a physical product. So that's, that's the reason why I started the weekly newsletter. I wanted to produce some sort of digital series where I could get people like, to sort of build a community. And it doesn't really matter if, you know, you subscribe to the newsletter and you're not ever going to buy a magazine. It's very much like trying to build a community around the brand as such. And, and um, we also you on your toes by giving you a deadline each week to try and, to try and get a piece of content out as well. And it, it's, it's also trying to publish content in different areas. So something that Gary Vaynerchuk said is like you need to produce different content on different platforms because there's no point someone following you in on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, if you're just going to publish the same piece of content to every platform. So I think it's important as well for revenue streams of magazines as well, because there's very few magazines that survive just solely off print sales. Um, I think there's a statistic where it's, I think, 70% of independent magazines that um, are out nowadays they tend to have alternate revenue streams into the business and it's also being smart on a business point of view as well because you know a lot of people say they want to make a magazine but a lot of people don't realize that there isn't really much money in it and if you're starting, you know, to make money there's a whole lot of easier ways to make money than start a print magazine and you have to do it with with a passion and a goal because you'll run out of steam really if, if you're chasing like a financial goal very, very, very quickly as well. Yeah. That's one, that's one lesson that you can learn if, you, if
0: you're not in it for, uh, if you're in it for financial reasons. Yeah. It's good. Okay. The last three questions I ask everyone, give it, what was the best bit of advice you can give to someone starting a
1: magazine? I would say that it's network as much as possible because I went into it being, um, being, blind as such and I wouldn't necessarily change anything I've done because it's got me to where I've got today but for instance I started without like a subscription service set up. I didn't have a distributor to start off with um who could get the magazine to a lot of different stores and I was kind of learning the hard way but what I found as I've gone along making various connections with different people reading a lot more like there's some fantastic books about making a magazine building your network as such is the quickest way to open a lot of doors and fast track you in certain areas and the quickest way to learn as well. So you've got to understand that you're not just making a magazine. You're not just going to be stuck on a screen um, just designing the thing because once all that stuff arrives, then you suddenly need to become a salesman. You need to become a marketer. You need to know, you know the internet of business. So reading business books, watching business pod, like video podcasts, listening to podcasts, and then building your network is going to be um, a great way to, to to get into the industry because it would also give you a good idea before starting out of what's in store as well. Because some people might not be, you know, cut out to wanting to, you know, phone up retailers and send sales emails to people. They might just want to, you know, design a magazine. And if that's just the case, and you just want to do that, then you know you could partner with people, do it as a team, or you could go and work for another magazine and just do that job if you don't want to do that aspects rather than spending a lot of money in finding out the hardware yeah. and just what I've previously said as well, don't chase it for financial reasons. You've got to do it for the reasons that you want to do, which like me to start off with was to try and learn as much as possible and to actually create a physical product. And I guess that was probably the first thing I've actually ever made. Like physical was cause I wasn't good at drawing. I wasn't you knowing to art as, as a kid or growing up. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah
0: it does. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. There's two great bits of advice. So, what was your best purchase under a hundred pounds?
1: I'm trying to think. Um, oh, it's a tough question. <laughs> yeah, yes, people. It could be, it could be anything. Like literally. Anything. I remember reading this question, and because I don't know if you've, because a lot of are the questions I ask as well, someone asked, turned the question on me, and I, and I thought, I've never actually thought about it before, as weird as it sounds, because I remember reading this question in, I think Tim Ferriss's book, and he, he did like a load of. Oh, this is where I got that from. Of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I never thought about it like what, what is actually mine but um, okay one, one of the best things I've got is um is I got a subscription to Blinkist, which is a german based reading application and it basically sums up nonfiction books in up to about like between ten and fifteen minute reads but the apps all really beautifully designed it it puts it into an audio format and it doesn't it doesn't See itself as a replacement for reading. It seems it is like a supplement. So I very much read a book and still gone onto their service and listened to the same book again to get more of um a concise, Understand. like yeah, understanding of the book. And it also has been a great way to cut down on the reading list of books I'm never going to read. So the you know I've got loads and loads of books listed that I'm never going to find the time to read because I'm I I'll take ages to read books. And it's I've, I think since Christmas, which I've had it. I've managed to read, I think, about 47 books on there. And the amount I've, I've learned from it has been insane. And they, they actually do have a service where you don't actually have to pay um, to read one of their books. So they'll, they'll um, I'm not too sure where it is on their website, but they give you a free book a day about a random topic. And just to test it out, I did that for a few weeks. And even though, I said to myself, even though it wasn't anything I was interested in, I would read it. And nine times out of 10, I would still find it really interesting. For I've just learned something about um, a topic that I never would have, like myself, gone out to try and learn. What's it called again? It's called Blinkist. It's all one word. Awesome! Yeah, that sounds really good. It's not German, but it's based in Germany. Say, so. it's based in Germany, but they've got um, it's, it's available in, in the UK. I'm doing a feature with with their team for the upcoming awesome. volume for about Brandon. Um, so they're they're a really good they're a really good team and. Been very helpful. They, I think, they sat down about an hour and a half and did an interview with me. So
0: fantastic. Uh, finally, the last question is: uh, How? First of all, how do you want the magazine to be remembered, and then how do you want it to be remembered?
1: Um, so I, I think I'd say the magazine, as such, I just wanted to provide as much value as possible to people. So I'm very thorough with accepting and allowing various different pieces of content in there. If I don't think it's going to leave someone with like food for thought, I very much want this to be <clears throat> like a curation of all these different people to give like actionable advice, inspiration, and to inspire action. So once they've read this, that they can feel inspired to be more creative, go out and pursue their dream. If they want to travel more, it could inspire you to travel. And just as a way of expressing yourself and perhaps realising that you shouldn't really listen to what other people say. It's very much, you know, if you've got a goal, just try to do your best to 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 get to that end goal and enjoy the process to get there as well. And I think in terms of the second part of the question about how I would like to be remembered, it's um, perhaps just as someone who always had time for people and just was positive and just tried to help as many people as possible, I guess, but I, I always find it hard to say no to people, <laughs> which I need to learn you need to learn to, but um, yeah. What, what about yourself? If I turn that question on you, how do you want to be remembered?
0: You would, you would like to think, you know just kind and friendly and approachable, and um, that's like sort of the main three things. And then, mm. yeah, and and then just just help have a help other people. Everyone wants to. A lot of people sit on this podcast do say that, you know they want to help everyone, and they, they've okay. and everyone that comes on the show has helped me. So that's that's one step, and they've helped everyone that li- everyone listens to it. So. Yeah, I, I'd like to think that I'm helping businesses by designing for them and helping people learn from the podcast and stuff about it out on the internet. So I think that's that for now. It'll probably change if someone asks me again later on. But yeah, yeah. Uh, where can people find the magazine and say hello and probably on social media or anything like that?
1: So it's 99percentlifestyle.com. Um, so it's 99 nine and then the rest is all spouts. And it's there's like a stockist page on the website if you want to try and find it in store nearest to you or if you know you wanted to purchase through the website there's various different options bundles subscriptions stuff like that and then it's at 99 lifestyle on instagram is probably the best bet because that's the one I tend to put the most attention and most active on there so that's, that's probably the best place
0: great thank you very much for being on the
1: podcast yeah thanks for
0: having me thank you very much for listening to this episode of the creative Waffle podcast i've been reading 99 lifestyle now for a couple of weeks the advice in there from top creatives and designers illustrators and just people that you, you would never be able to meet in person it feels like you're sort of having a conversation with them it feels like you're asking the questions i really really urge you to read 99 lifestyle it's, it's a fantastic magazine and i can't wait to get my hands on volume four if you enjoyed this podcast why not give it a like share with a friend thank you very much for, as always for listening and your support i'll see you in the next episode